those hymns are rich and and for playing. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Aren't you? Glad you can say that this morning. It's a privilege to be sharing once again from the Word of God. And I do thank all of you who pray for those who speak here at the chapel. It really is a blessing. And uh, you know when people are praying for you, huh? Uh, especially now with uh, the things that our family is going through. I would like to sincerely thank each and everyone who's been praying for us as a family, for our daughter, as uh, the Lord takes us through deep waters. But Isaiah 43, he tells us that he takes us through the flood, through the fire, and that he is with us. So we are trusting him for whatever lies ahead. And so, But I do thank you for your prayers. It really keeps us going. There are times when you just kind of have to stop and cry. But even through that, we can trust God that he will carry us through. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, we had we had a time of prayer. It was, it was a joy to do that. Uh, it was a day 20 years ago that, like uh, Sean said earlier on, that all of us remember where we were at. Joyce and I were talking about that yesterday. We on that day that it happened. Um, you know, this was before we had cell phones and internet and social media and everything, so I was working at the lab at Bethesda North, and somebody, one of the techs, had brought a small black and white TV from somewhere and put it up on the one of the corners, their shelves, and after the second plane hit, pretty much everybody was kind of glued to that TV and watching what was happening to the country. But what did happen today is 9-12, isn't it? The country came together. For a while the churches were full. There were people coming to the Lord. How we long for that to happen again in the divided country that we now live in. Only the Lord can bring that about. And when we gathered for prayer... It's not just the physical things that we pray for, it's also for spiritual battles. That we don't know what the Lord's plans are for the future, perhaps the country is going, he's bringing the country down, that his plans work out. And yet we can still pray for a turning to him. And I trust that we're doing that as we think about it. You know, this past couple of years have been extremely challenging and difficult with the global pandemic that we've gone through and the unprecedented effects of it on the economy, on, on gathering, on companies, on people, countless lives lost. The uh, recent withdrawal from the country of Afghanistan and uh, the number of people that are left behind and are trying to get out and are unable. All of the uh, increasing violence and crime in our cities, uh, many of our cities, the natural disasters that are taking place, uh, whether it's hurricanes or floods, fires, and the list goes on and on. Uh, I do personally believe that these all point to the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ, Maranatha. And while we wait that, I trust that we are hoping, we talked about hope, and it wasn't it a blessed meeting this morning around the table as we thought about the Lord and our hope that's in him. 
Are we waiting? Are we watching? And are we working as we await Him? I hope that we are. You know, today we are beginning a new series uh, at Bible R that I've titled All in the Family of God. And uh, I guess we can have the first slide done. Thank you, thank you, Andy. You know, the idea for this series started almost a couple of years ago when, well, it started a couple of years ago but kind of came to fruition during the period when we were all isolated from each other, unable to see meet in person, and we were restricted to seeing one another in these little Brady Bunch Zoom boxes that we were for a long period of time. And, though, and although unable to meet in person and physically separate, the Lord brought to me quite clearly and powerfully that we were all, and all still are, part of a very large family. It's a very unique family. It's a very diverse family. It's a family that's not just here in Finitown or Cincinnati or in this country. It's a family, a global family of millions of people that I meet in all countries from A to Z, whether it's Azerbaijan to Afghanistan, whether it's Zimbabwe or Zambia. It's a global family that meets. And a number of members of that family are no longer inhabitants of earth, but inhabitants of heaven. And it's God's family. And it was a, for me, it was a real blessing and comfort to know and realize that this family was absolutely safe and secure in the Lord, in the arms of the Lord, regardless of what was happening in the world or regardless of what, what was happening in our individual lives. But I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and nothing can change that. As this series was put together, I do thank Phil uh, Mikeley for working with me and getting the lessons organized. And I do thank a lot of the women at the chapel who have provided input on family, and uh, some of that will come through as we go through the weeks ahead. Now, the title, All in the Family, to give credit where credit is due, the title of the family is not original to me. It came from that sitcom. <laughs> Many of you old, some of you younger ones probably don't know it, but some of the older ones can remember that. Can you remember Edith and Archie's? <laughs> All in the Family of God, and this iconic photograph, <laughs> and the expression on Archie Bunker's face. All in the family of God. Now, there are many definitions of human families. Uh, in, in our culture today, that definition keeps changing continually and not for the better. But some of the definitions I found are a group of individu individuals who share ties of blood, marriage, or adoption residing together. You know, that's talking about human families, but when you think about that, that applies to our family of God, doesn't it? We have been adopted into God's family. We are the bride of Christ, and the blood ties, the blood that was shed for us to bring us into that family. Or it's all members of a household living together under one roof. That's one of the definitions. And the so-called nuclear family, a mother, a father, and children, which is getting rarer today. But families also apply to other non-human groups, for families of plants or animals. But who or what is the family of God? Let me read uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. That's uh, from the New King James. 
Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, who is the you that he's referring to? That in the first part of that chapter, of chapter 2, it begins with, and you he has made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, wherewith he has loved us, made us alive together in Christ. That's the you. Verse 8, you, by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the you. The family of God. The New Living Translation actually says you are God's family. Where it says household of God in the King James, it's you are God's family. So this family of God consists of every, each and every one who has trusted God and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior the only source of their salvation. Let me say that again. This family of God consists of each and every one who has trusted God, put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and the only source of their salvation. Now, you might be old or young, single or married, separated. You might be of any kind of any civilian, military, teachers, engineers, doctors, lawyers, even politicians. The, uh, they are from every country, every race, every socioeconomic state, every people group. And they may be in any Christian denomination, not just in the assemblies. Everyone who is trusted and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior is part of God's family. And you know what? We can gladly have fellowship with them, can't we? I remember the reading the account of Leighton, Leighton Ford was the, part of the Billy Graham team many years ago when uh, the country of Romania was starting to open up. They were there in Romania for some meetings, and one one day he was just walking outside his hotel and just wanted to get out of the building, and he was walking outside the hotel, and walking ahead of him was a Romanian man who was whistling a tune. And, and Leighton says, he, right, as he got closer to the man, he realized that uh, the tune that he was whistling was a Christian hymn. It was the hymn, the great physician, now is near the sympathizing Jesus. And, and so Leighton kind of walked faster, caught up to him, and he started whistling the same tune. And the man looked at him, he smiled, and he held his heart, and he pointed to the sky. And Leighton said he did the same thing. He held his heart and pointed to the sky. The man's face broke into a broad smile. He opened his arms and gave Leighton a bear hug. That's fellowship in God's family regardless of which country, regardless of whether you know the language or not, you can have fellowship with one another in the family of God. A month ago or so, we were, Joyce and I were uh, at the Cove in the Billy Graham Training Center for a conference with the Christian singer and teacher, Michael Card. And there were about 300 people there from all different denominations across the country. And it was such a joy to fellowship with them across the dining table at those breakfast, lunch, or dinner and talk to them about what was happening in our lives, about the Lord, about how the Lord's leading them. That is fellowship that we can have in the family of God. It's not restricted to this. Now, yes, there is the global family. That's the church, universal church, all those who have been saved by faith in Christ. But we also have our local family here, which is also quite diverse in its composition. 
So God willing, as outlined in the bulletin over the many months to come, we will be looking at various parts of this family, whether it is children, whether it's young adults, whether it's singles, whether it's married couples, whether it's the older ones, whether it's parents, whether it's grandparents. Consider that each of you is a valuable and vital member of God's family with a God-given purpose, and for that family to thrive and to grow, each of you is absolutely needed. I trust that we'll come across as we go through these lessons in the coming weeks and months. Now, a number of brothers will be sharing uh, on these uh, topics, so keep them in your prayers. In fact, let's uh, do that now as we, before we, open, we look further. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we just thank you for this. We sang, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Thank you that we are part of that family this morning, part of a global family, part of this local family. Help us to uh, realize the wonder of that, that we've been brought into the family of God and that we are absolutely safe, secure, and no one can pluck us out of your hands. I trust that would give us hope and joy as we go forward through difficulties that we go on in the days ahead, that you would help us, Lord. Help us to depend on you, trust you fully. Commit this time in the Word to you as we look at things related to God's family. And pray for your blessing on this time in Jesus' precious name. We will also be looking at some of the parallels between the family of God and our own individual families and parallels and comparisons and lessons we can draw from that. A few weeks back when I was preparing for this message, uh, I don't think I had requested it, but one of the little booklets from Daily Bread Ministries came in the mail, and it was titled, You Are His, Belonging to the Family of God. And I said, Lord, thank you. It was was just kind of good timing. And the person who wrote it is that on the screen there, Lori Lee Craker, uh, she had written a little booklet for the ODB Ministries, and she personally was given up for adoption as a newborn by her biological parents, by biological mother, and was brought up by a German Mennonite couple in Nova Scotia. And in one of the chapters in that little booklet, she begins it by saying, she says, even if you think adoption isn't part of your story, it is. Even if you think adoption isn't part of your story, it is. What does she mean by that? Well, in a typical nuclear family, you are part of that family unit, a human family unit, because you are born to your biological parents and you stay with them. You cannot become part of God's family that way. You know, people have said, chances are if you're born in Saudi Arabia, you're going to be a Muslim. Chances are if you're born in India, you might be a Hindu. Chances are if you're born in the West, you might be a Christian. Now, the first two might be true, and perhaps generally are, but the last last is never true. You cannot be born into God's family just because of your parents being Christian or being part of the Western world, you only come into God's family by being born again. By being born again. That's what the Lord said to Nicodemus when he came to him by night in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's only one way to be part of God's family. It is by coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him as your Savior through redemption and adoption redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, adopted into God's family. You know, in human families, uh, adoption is 
usually, not always, but usually a plan B or a plan C. What do I mean by that? Well, when a couple gets married and they'd like to have children, and they try for a child, and if they don't have children with all the technology now, they might try some artificial means that are out there, and if they don't, then they might consider adoption. So that's what I meant by a plan B or plan C. In God's family, adoption is plan A. Why do I say that? Because Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Just as he chose us, that's those who are in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. It was plan A from the beginning that you and I, who come to faith in Christ, were adopted into God's family, predestined to be his children. Ephesians 1 verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, can I fully understand that? No. But I trust, uh, I trust him for who he is and what he's done for me. And I know that he chose me in him before the foundation of the world. Now, as we look at this family of God, there were, you know, uh, there are many different tracks to follow, and I was thinking what uh, to talk on, but what I've done, what I would like to do today is answer this question. What are the, some of the things that you and I can be assured of when you are part of God's family? What are some of the things that you and I can be assured of when you are part of the family of God? And firstly, you are loved. Firstly, you are loved. Now, God loves all his creation, even the unsaved. But he especially loves his family. Why do I say that? Because of his actions. John 3.16, perhaps the most familiar verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. God so loved the world. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How did he demonstrate that? Luke 19 verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who had lost. Mark 10 and verse 45, the Son of Man came to not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. First John 4 and verse 10 says, and this is love, not that we first loved God, but, but not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. You are loved. Now sitting here this morning, you may not feel loved, or you, you may have difficulty understanding a father's love, perhaps because you've never seen that love in your earthly family. Or perhaps you've experienced or continue to experience abuse in your earthly family. May I reassure you, as a child of God, regardless of your earthly experience, on the authority of the Word of God, you are loved this morning. You are loved. The heart of God the Father is a heart of love. And that love can and should be experienced and understood by the child of God. Let me ask you this morning, Parents, have you ever yelled at your children? Let's do a show of hands, can we? We've yelled at 
children perhaps coming into the church parking lot, haven't we? I can say we've been done, done that. It's it's a it's a hard time to try to get a bunch of kids up and ready and come to church. And sometimes right in the parking lot, you have to yell at them, don't you? And when you come into the church, perhaps you're not in the mood to worship. And again, been there. And there. Now, if after you've cooled down, if somebody asked you, do you love your children? I would say that all of you, if not, would say, yes, we do. No, wouldn't you? God loves us for the love far exceeding what you and I as human parents can love our children with. And so when things happen to us that we don't understand, or for whatever reason, sometimes God allows things to happen or disciplines us, do we begin to doubt His love? I hope I don't. I hope I don't. Perhaps some of us have this idea that God is kind of like always meeting a divine judgment. It's like a divine whack-a-mole. You know, every time you come up a little bit, boom. Ah, he, he's not like that. He loves us. God loves us in spite of all our faults, in spite of all of our idiosyncrasies, in spite of our sin. First John 3 and verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God. And then later on he says, that is what we are. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you. Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. If there's one thing to take away from this family series, I would urge you this thing. I am loved by God. You are loved by God. The Apostle John wasn't bashful about it. He would write, I'm the disciple whom God loves. You are loved by God. Let us take that to heart this morning. And that love we experience is not just to be trapped within us, but God's desire is that we share that love and show that love to one another. And it's not just a desire. In fact, it's a command, isn't it? In the upper room in John chapter 13 and verse 34, the Lord said, a new, it's not a new desire, a new command I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's how our individual families and that's how the family of God is meant to be. Let me say that again. That's how our individual families and that's how the family of God is meant to be. Many, many years ago when as a chapel we had gone to Iron Sharpens Iron, the conference that happens over the Memorial Day weekend in uh, Emmaus Bible College and Alex Strauch was speaking and uh, the chapter being read was 1 Corinthians 13, which, you know, sometimes called the love chapter. And Alex had someone else, a young man was reading the, the starting at verse 1 through the whole chapter. And in the corner of the stage, there was another young man standing with a big brass vessel. And uh, he had a rubber mallet kind of thing. And he was banging on the vessel with the mallet. And when he first started, he was banging it very softly. And you know, he was wondering what was going on. But as this passage was being read, he began to hit that brass uh, vessel with even to the point that when he got almost to the end of the chapter, 
the sound from that vessel drowned out what was being read. What does First Corinthians 13 once, once say? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If you don't have that love, everything else we say is drowned out. Let me say that again. If you don't have that love that God wants us to have for one another, for Him, everything else we say is drowned out. So the application this morning is, firstly, to realize that I am loved. Hallelujah. I am loved by God. And secondly, that love is not to be remain trapped within us, but it should so overflow that it bubbles over and spreads to others. That's what Kurt Kaiser in his hymn, uh, It Only Takes a Spark, writes, he says, it only takes a spark to set a fire going, and soon all those around are warmed up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you want to spread His love to everyone. You want to pass it on. You want to pass it on. Maybe apply that to ourselves this morning. So firstly, you are loved. Second, you are precious to Him. You are precious to Him. You know, you may feel unloved or consider yourself of not much worth. Perhaps someone here this morning, whether young or old, here in person or on Zoom, you might have been told that you're useless, that you could never do anything right, that, uh, and have that said repeatedly to you, that you actually begin to believe it. May I, again, on the authority of the Word of God, assure you that is not true. You are precious in God's sight. He gave His Son for you. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 say this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know, growing up, uh, before we had all these versions, when I grew up in Bombay in the late 60s, early 70s, as a high school, college and high, uh, high school, we only had the King James. So the King James says, a peculiar people. And as a young man, lad, I have looked at them and I said, and I looked around the assembly and I said, yeah, you know, he was right. There wasn't the <laughs> there are some weird people around here. But the New King James corrects that impression. The New King James said, you are his own special people. The word is peculiar, a people belonging to him. You are his own special people. That's what you and I are. We are special in God's sight. Children of a king, princess and princesses. You know, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, with C.S.S. Lewis and the uh, children, Peter, Edmund, uh, Susie, and Lucy, Pivinci, they didn't think they were special or did not seem special, but in Narnia, in Aslan's kingdom, they were princes and princesses. And that's what you and I are this morning, special to him. You are precious to him. John 1, the two memory verses actually we have for this month, I was the first one I read, Ephesians 2.19. The other one is John 1.12 in our calendar. But as many as received him to them that believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. 
And again I said, that's what John says in First John 3, that is what we are. That is what we are. Sons and daughters of the King. Hallelujah. We take that for granted, don't we? How wonderful to know that you and I are sons and daughters of the King. Two weeks ago we were visiting my sister up near Toledo in Perrysburg, Ohio, and we, uh, the pastor was at their church was teaching from Luke chapter 8, and he was, ta- he was uh, teaching on the woman with the issue of blood, the woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. And he said, you and I today can't understand what that means as far as the woman was concerned. If she had a continuous issue of blood, she was continuously unclean under Mosaic law. That meant she could not come in contact with the rest of her family. She could not worship. She could not come in contact with friends. She had to stay isolated. And for 12 years, that was going on. It was almost like a lifelong COVID. You isolate yourself. And yet she hears about the Lord and she comes in that crowd. She touches the hem of his garment in faith and is instantly healed. But the Lord doesn't leave it there, does he? He says, who touched me? He could have known, yes, you know, she got healed. But now he wanted her to make a public confession of what she had experienced. And in verse uh, Luke eight forty seven, when the Lord keeps asking, she knows she can't hide. And it says in eight forty seven, Luke eight forty seven, she says she came trembling, and falling before him, she declared him to him, that's the Lord Jesus, in the presence of all the people, the reason she touched him, and how she was healed immediately. In other words, giving public testimony of a private healing. And Jesus addresses her, and what's the first word he says? Daughter. Daughter. She probably hadn't heard that word since she was a child, being isolated from everybody. She probably had never heard that word in her whole adult lifetime. And now the first word that the Lord says is daughter. You're my child. You're part of my family. As many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called children of God. Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. How wonderful for you and I to be part of that family, precious to him. Dear ones, as a child of God, you are, you are, you are precious to him. Never forget that and don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. The application for us in our human families and in the family of God, let us not forget that. And let us encourage one another to build up, build them up and not put them down. I trust we can apply that to us. Firstly, to realize we are precious and that all others are precious to him too in his family. Thirdly, you are, you are his unique creation. Ephesians 2 verse 10, the first part of the verse says, you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. The Greek word, I believe, is poema, or his poem. The New Living Translation translates it, you are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. In that little booklet on uh, I, I talked about you are the from uh, Daily Bread Ministries. There was an example of this. Uh, the word is kintsugi. You may or may not have heard the word. It's the centuries-old art of 
renewing Japanese art of renewing broken pottery. The word literally means golden joinery, if there's such a word as joinery, golden joinery. And that refers to the process of this uh, pottery art. In this technique, the broken ceramic pieces are joined together in the hands of a master potter with a special tree sap lacquer that's used. And mixed in with that lacquer is gold dust. So that when finally the vessel is formed, you have these seams that run through the vessel, but that shimmers with gold. And each creation that that potter makes is totally unique because the seams are different, the, the gold dust is different, and it's the, the renewed pottery is usually, if not always, better than the original one that was made. You know, God does something similar with each of us, doesn't it? He picks up the broken pieces. He sets about with the help of His Holy Spirit, with the help of His Word, with the help of encouragement from other believers, from, his, from the family of God. And he mold, He's molding us into the image of His Son, and yet each one of us is unique. We are His unique creation. You know, today society tries to wrap us into people groups, whether it's oppressed or not oppressed, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's transgender, whether it's some group that's out there. We are part of a group, yes, we are part of God's family, but you and I are totally unique. In Jeremiah 1 verse 3, the Lord tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Psalm 139 verse 13 through 14, For you form my inward parts. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece. You are loved, you are precious to Him. You are God's masterpiece. You are His unique creation. Application, remember that each member of the family of God is uniquely created by God. Loved by Him, precious to Him. And God is in the process of uniquely shaping each one into the image of His Son. May we, as part of our individual families and as part of God's family, encourage that process and not hinder it in any way. Let me say that again. May we, as individual families and part of God's family, encourage that process and not hinder it in any way. I've always loved the children's hymn because it's true for each one of us. It's true for me. He's still working on me. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It only took a week to make the moon and the stars, earth and sun, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. I thank him for how loving and patient he is. He's still working on me. He's still working on us this morning. You are his unique creation. Fourthly and finally, you have, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. Now, you may feel that you have no specific purpose, whether it's in your individual family or that in the family of God, that you're just such a small cog in a vast machine and therefore unimportant. You've heard the story told about the conductor who's leading an orchestra, a full symphony orchestra, and the piccolo player decided he didn't need to play since his instrument was so inconspicuous and his part was so minor. Till suddenly the conductor stopped all the music and bellowed, Where's the piccolo? In the years of the conductor, he could recognize the absence of that little instrument. 
making the music incomplete. So it is with each member of God's family. Each member of God's family, if you're here this morning, whether it's your child, your young adult, you're single, you're married, separated, parent or grandparent, in your senior years, widow or widower, student, employed or retired, in good health or in poor health, you are part of God's family, and each of you has and will continue to have a purpose in God's family until He calls you home. Each of us has a purpose in God's family until He calls you home. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 uses the human body as an example of the unity and the diversity that's present in the family of God. He states that there are many members in God's family some hidden, some more visible, some seemingly more important, some less important, and yet each one is essential to the proper functioning of the body as a whole. That's the point he's trying to bring across. And prior to that, and earlier in that chapter, he says that God has given each member of his family a spiritual gift or gifts that are to be used for that purpose, for the building up the family and bringing glory to God. Every little part of that body is important. I've used this example before. You are sitting here this morning, you're listening to me. The fact that you can hear and understand what's happening is a miracle, isn't it? Think about it. When I speak, and that itself is a miracle in itself, the sound waves that are generated that from your voice box, from your larynx, that comes out as sound waves. It's You hear it, you outer ear, your pinna, kind of collects that. It goes to the eardrum, the eardrum vibrates, and the inside of that there are three tiny little bones, just a millimeter to two millimeter in size. Those bones vibrate, they go to the inner ear. The inner ear has a thing called the cochlea, which is almost a snail-like looking thing with hair on it, hair-like cells with hair on it, and each of those hairs are tuned to a different sound and a frequency. Those hairs, when they respond to the sound that I'm speaking, transmit nerve impulses along the auditory nerve that goes to the auditory cortex in the brain, and the brain interprets that as intelligible speech. And that's happening continuously and instantaneously. Something that prevents one part of that working well, whether it's something with your outer ear, whether it's uh, excess wax buildup in the outer ear, whether it's a ruptured or inflamed eardrum, whether it's problems with those little bones as you get older, there's problems with that, or whether it's the inner ear. Now, the inner ear also does the function of balance, and if you have problems in the inner ear, that's how you wind up with vertigo. If any part of that doesn't work properly, you can't hear well. So it is with God's family. There are members in God's family, and each one has a vital and valuable part in God's family for the thriving and the functioning of God's family for His glory. Not so that members of that family look good. No, it's for His glory and His glory alone. You have a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 is an amazing verse. We saw the first part of that earlier on. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. But the second part of that verse is created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. I think the King James says foreordained. Essentially what the Apostle Paul is saying is that God has already lined up things for you to do. Your job is to find them and do them. 
God has already prepared beforehand the things that he wants us to do as members of his family. How do we find them? We seek his will. Romans 12 says, Therefore I present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is the good, that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. There are many sections of scripture that tell us about the will of God. And I'm not sure I'll be able to say this without breaking down. And I, I think I shared it at the elders' meeting with Phil, perhaps. As after we heard Kristen's news, the next morning, the daily bread reading was from First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, which says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For what? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He can pray. Rejoice evermore. In everything, give thanks. I want to do that. I can't do that in my own strength. Only the Holy Spirit can help you do that. Do you know God's purpose for your life? I trust you do. And I trust you're fulfilling it as you go forward day by day in this family of God, in this local family. He has a purpose for you, whether you're a child, young, single, married, elderly. God has a purpose for you. I trust you will continue to do his work. Now, uh, just quickly, if you're not part of God's family and you're here this morning, you can be. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do the work. The work's already been done. All you need to do is to come to him in faith, confess you're a sinner, repent, and trust what God has done for you. Romans 10 and verse 9 says, if you, confess with your, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a question of some kind of penance and all this work that you have to do. You will be saved. Romans 10 verse 13 says, in fact, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. And you can be part of that family this morning. If you're part of God's family, just uh, to recap, you are loved, you are precious to Him, you are His unique creation, and you do have a purpose. There are many, many, many more things we could... You're a child of the King. We have a permanent home being prepared for us. John 14, the Lord talking to the disciples in the upper room. I go to prepare a place for you. You have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us, Ephesians chapter 1. You have a faithful high priest who intercedes for us, Hebrews chapter 4. We have God's written word given to us, all scriptures given by inspiration, so that we can be corrected, reproved, trained, instructed, and trained in righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3.16. We are partakers of the divine nature, Second Peter chapter 1. And so many more. All part of God's family. The response is not that we are proud of anything, that we are part of the family. The response should be like David had in Second Samuel chapter 7, 
when uh, he was told that God told him that he would make an enduring dynasty. And David says in Second Samuel 7, Lord, who am I and what is my family that you have bestowed so much on me? I hope that's our response in humility. But it's a joy to be part of God's family and to know that we are loved, that we are precious to Him, that we are His unique creation, and that we have a purpose till He calls us home. Help us to continue doing that. We sang this song earlier. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel the sword, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. When we have a heartache, we all share the tears. It's wonderful to be part of the family that shares the tears and rejoice when the Lord answers. I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. Are you? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege of being part of your family. Born again into the family of God through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for all the blessings of being part of that family. Help us to know that, to just realize that and to not take it for granted, but to apply that to our hearts and our lives and to show that love, that grace, that goodness to others. Help, help us to build one another up and not to bring down. Help us to show your love to those who do not know you and to show to share that gospel of love, of grace, of hope, the hope that we have, that you'd go ahead of us in that. I pray for this series as we continue on and look at individual members of God's family of all ages and different parts of life, that you would bless the teaching that goes forth. Be with us as we go from here. Dismiss us with your blessing. We just ask these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.